Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind, that is the mind of Christ, and to do that, a couple of Christ-confessing Concordians confer with the Book of Concord to conform what we believe, teach, and confess according to Scripture in our Lutheran Confession of the Faith. On today's show, we are going to discuss why Concord matters for Christian counseling. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, pastor of the Evangelical Lutheran Dual Parish of Emmanuel West Point in St. Paul's Wine Hill in Southern Illinois. And my companion confessor in conversation about this matter today is the Reverend Dr. Rick Mars. He is Associate Professor of Practical Theology at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, where he also serves as the Director of the Master of Divinity and Residential Alternate Route Programs and he is also the author of the book, Making Christian Counseling More Christ-Centered. Dr. Mars, welcome to Concord Matters. Thank you very much for having me, Pastor Sean. Yes, it is absolutely a great honor to have you on Concord Matters, especially as I first came to know you and learn from your work as you were a professor at Concordia Seminary St. Louis while I was there as a student. I've continued to benefit since through ongoing ed classes that the seminary offers. So thank you for taking the time to be my guest on the show today to talk about this matter of some principles for truly confessional Christ-centered Christian counseling. Yes, thank you very much. Yeah, I remember you came actually to Seymour, Indiana for a special continuing ed event by the same name before the book was published. So uh, I knew you had an interest in these areas years ago. Absolutely. And we're going to come right back to that thought in just a second. But before we get into discussing this more, I think it's important for this show to pause for just a moment and share our condolences with the family of Pastor Paul McCain as he unexpectedly passed in death to his promised rest in Christ this past week. Now, of course, on this show, when we read from the Book of Concord, we use Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, a reader's edition of the Book of Concord which Pastor McCain was the general editor of. And so we're thankful for the faithful work that Pastor McCain has done to the glory of God and in his service to the church throughout his confessional ministry, and especially the last 18 years as publisher and executive director of the editorial department at Concordia Publishing House. So on behalf of Concord Matters and KFUO, we just want to give thanks to God for the life and confession of Pastor Paul McCain and also share our condolences for his family and his co-workers at Concordia Publishing House at his death. God's peace be with you. And now, as the efforts of Pastor Paul McCain's service in the church were always towards being a faithful confessor of the faith, it's good to turn our attention to that important work again here on Concord Matters. And Dr. Mars, as you were just saying, I had gone to one of your classes that preceded the publishing of your book, as you were still working on that, I believe, making Christian counseling more Christ-centered. And I really did benefit from that. And I believe I shared with you then, too, how I personally, and I know this is true of a lot of Lutheran pastors, and, and it's true of other denomination pastors as well, that when it comes to counseling, that's something that 
at times has been rather dominated by the secular world and kind of mm -hmm. really comes from Freud and Jung and so forth, though. Yeah. Maybe had Skinner, some, Rogers, yeah. Yeah, some loose connections with the Christian faith, but definitely very secular in a lot of their things. And so I guess at times I'm a little skeptical when it comes to Christian counseling, using something that has become so secularized to talk about that as being Christ-centered. And yet you've been really helpful for me in kind of turning that around and understanding how we can consider, you know, just the term is known out there as counseling now, but how we can consider that in a truly Christian way. And so I think that's an important first question to ask. And it's kind of what I've been wanting to do in this series. We talk about being confessional Lutherans and to be confessional should impact anything and everything that we do in our Christian life of faith. And so when it comes to counseling and as it's used in the church and by people in the church, what then is confessional about Christian counseling? Yeah, that's a great question. And yeah, the field of secular counseling has been pushing against the Christian faith for decades, all the way back to, like you said, Freud, I said Skinner and Carl Rogers. Many of them were either avid atheists who were pushing against the Christian faith, or in the terms of Carl Rogers, avid Buddhists or other Eastern religionists who were pushing against the sound doctrine of the Christian faith. Although they did discover a number of what you and I might call first article issues, our evangelical friends call them creation grace issues, that I think can be helpful. And then in the last 30, 40, 50 years, Christians have been entering into the field of Christian counseling in much greater numbers. In fact, there's an American Association of Christian Counseling that I'm a, a member of that has 50,000 members. It's actually as large or larger than some of the secular professional organizations in the field of counseling. But the uh, Christian counselors have become very widespread throughout the United States, especially among evangelicals. Baptists, conservative Presbyterians and Calvinists, various Pentecostal traditions and so forth. Not very many Lutherans have gotten involved in Christian counseling in the last 20, 30 years. There have been some, but not as many as those other denominations. And so what my book is a uh, Lutheran attempt to share with both Lutheran pastors and Lutheran parishioners, but also with non-Lutheran Christian counselors, Luther's soul care theology and how it can and should still be used in the 21st century. If I were renaming the book just for Lutherans, I probably would have said Luther's soul care theology for the 21st century. But I was trying to name the book in a way that uh, non-Lutheran Christian counselors might go, oh, I want to make my Christian counseling more Christ-centered. What ideas does this guy have that might be helpful in that? And so uh, that's been my attempt. So the first half of my book is simply kind of Luther's theology in terms that I hope that Baptists and Pentecostals and Presbyterians can actually read and think, oh, I agree with almost all of that. And then the second half of the book is here are some counseling techniques, some soul care techniques that flow out of Luther's theology that, again, non-Lutherans just wouldn't have thought of. But I think if they read those techniques, they go, oh, yeah, I could use that technique, especially when, when it, what's so important, our theology talks about two kingdoms and two kinds of righteousness. You know, we've got first article issues that are happening to us at the earthly level. You know, we go to a medical doctor because, well, like you, our friend Paul McCain has passed on and we wish that that hadn't happened. And 
maybe if there had been a medical doctor right there when he first was happening, you know, something wouldn't have happened or that happens with other people that medical doctors save their lives because they can get to a spot just in time. But we are all fragile and we never know when that time is going to be for us or when there's going to be something drastic happen in our lives that's going to change our lives forever. But we do know that we have a loving Savior who is going to be with us every step of that way, every day of our lives, including when we pass on to paradise and he gives us a restful peace at the end. So uh, yeah, we've got first article issues that are going on in our bodies, but then there are spiritual issues going on vertically where we're asking questions like, does God really love me? What's my purpose in life? Who am I and how do I fit into this big picture? And only scripture, only God's word can answer those vertical questions a lot of the horizontal questions might be partially answered by Freud or Skinner or Rogers or some of the other more modern secular therapists, but only scripture answers the vertical questions that we have of how do I fit into God's bigger picture? And that's what Luther gave us some very clear ideas about it, both in the Book of Concord and in other places in his writings. And very few non-Lutherans know how to find what Luther had to say on those issues. So. Yeah. And you talk about really well, I think, you know, especially when we consider care of a doctor, of course, you know, for myself, it's always important to me, especially as some of those matters in the care of the body do relate to my Christian faith. A lot of times we tend to think of that when it comes to especially OBGYN being pro-life doctors and so forth like that. That's important to a lot of Christians, but there can be some points of connection then in terms of this first article care that can come from even secular counseling. They're, they're going to hit on these same things because there is one creator. We know that. But then I think it's important what you brought out that when it comes to these spiritual issues, when it comes to the care of our souls, which we believe is together with the care of our bodies, that the Christian faith cares for us in body and soul that can only be done in a Christ-centered way. And so I like how you've highlighted that this is a soul care issue because obviously for the 16th century confessors, something like counseling, I mean, that really wasn't a term around at the time. That wouldn't even been on their radar. And so we can't necessarily say the Book of Concord addresses the issue of Christian counseling. Mm -hmm. You've given us some good principles there. And even as we began this little series of Concord Matters for discussing various topics and themes, we begun that with Pastor Brady Finnern, who did a Concord Matters for the care of souls. And so this is a soul care issue. And so what would be some other principles then that either from the confessors or from the Book of Concord would inform how we think about Christian counseling then in our 21st century? Yeah, it is a case where, again, the modern counselors, even modern Christian counselors, sometimes forget that they're just in the line of history, that there have been soul caregivers, Luther would say Zalesorgers, for thousands of years. Gregory the Great actually wrote a book in 590 AD called The Care of Souls, and that was the soul care textbook for a thousand years in the history of the Christian church. There were more copies of that published, and when I say published, that means handwritten published, more copies of that book published than any other book in Europe except for the Bible itself. And so care of souls has been an incredibly important thing. 
Gregory the Great actually had some psychological insights that I think were as good or superior to early psychologists in the 1800s, but they just weren't looked at by a psychology. And even the term psychology was coined apparently in the 1500s when the Reformation was going on. It wasn't coined, I found out, by Melanchthon, but Melanchthon was the one that used it in his writings and made it popular. So even though the idea of psychology was becoming popular partly because of the Reformation. But I'd like to point out that, again, Luther didn't start the Reformation because he wanted to get in a debate with Rome. He started the Reformation because there were men who were coming into his area, into his parish area of his congregation, and teaching things that he thought was being harmful to the souls of his parishioners. And so he posted the 95 Theses because he wanted to have a debate on care of souls. We often kind of get misguided. You know, some of my colleagues at the seminary probably think I go too far on this, but I think the purpose of the Reformation was care of souls. I think the purpose of preaching is care of souls. I think the purpose of systematic theology is care of souls. And I think if I had Luther sitting down with me, he'd probably nod his head vigorously to those things. We kind of think of it in other ways. And now then it's a matter of how can we get this care of souls, uh, I say, re-Lutheranized in a way so that it does properly distinguish law and gospel and deal with Heidelberg disputation and theology of the cross all sorts of other things that we have learned from Luther and we kind of take for granted as Lutherans. Yeah, I tend to agree with you on that. And again, I think you've probably been really helpful for me in my own formation as a pastor to really understand that. And even in terms of being the host of this radio show, that it's not just abstract theology that's out there, that it is important to confess the truth. It's what God's word reveals to us as truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so we want truth and where there's error, that's a problem. But ultimately, it all boils down to what the church exists for, what the pastoral ministry exists for. And that's to deliver this truth of what God has done in Christ to souls, to strengthen the faith in what he has done for us. And so that's all soul care. And that's when I think Luther is at his best and reading through his work. And I know that you also first clued me into a book that's been published of kind of Luther's pastoral letters. I forget what the title of it is right now, but uh, you read Luther and when he is concerned with the care of the souls entrusted to him as a pastor and leading them in a life of faith and trusting Christ for their salvation, that's the pastoral work. And that's the care of souls. And that's why it was so important for him personally, but also pastorally, to have the Reformation. And so as we get into that a little more then, how does that flush out in some of Luther's work or in the confessional work that we start to see this care of souls and how we want to consider what we receive when we receive Christian counseling then? Yeah, that book that you're referring to is Theodore Tappert's 1960 book, uh, Luther's Letters of Spiritual Counsel. And so Luther wrote thousands of letters to people all around Europe at the time who were struggling with what they called then melancholia. We would now think of as probably major depression or some other related mental disorder, some anxiety disorder or whatever that was debilitating to the person. And Luther himself actually struggled with melancholia during different parts of his time with depression. 
I wonder if he struggled a little bit with bipolar depression, but we don't know for sure from looking at the evidence. But yeah, he wrote just hundreds of letters. And one Lutheran pastor who's a professor down in Australia actually used some of Luther's letters to do some counseling of some of the students he was working with who were depressed. And uh, Stephen Peitch found out that at least one of his students who was depressed said, oh, thank you for sharing these letters from Luther with me. I can tell he understands depression and reading his letters has been even more helpful to me than the counseling we've been doing. So here was Luther counseling someone in a sense 500 years after the fact, but he has such a compassion, such an empathy with people who are struggling with, his word was anfektung. For us, that's a German word that has a broad meaning, uh, struggling with trials, tribulations in life, temptations in life, despair meaning of life issues. Again, does God really love me? Onfectum kind of encapsulates any kind of struggle we're having spiritually in our relationship with God. And Luther thought that the gospel was the only thing that truly addressed that, and God's word that speaks that gospel, that truly addresses that onfectum that we all have in life. Uh, And then he gave us the means of grace to address those words through preaching, through baptism, through the Lord's Supper, through individual confession and absolution. All of those things are just core to helping us understand sound doctrine. And again, I like to point out Titus 2.1, Paul writes, but as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. He's speaking to Titus, the pastor there, and telling Titus to speak things that are sound doctrine. I think too often when we hear the word sound doctrine as Lutherans, we think true, which is true. I think the the Greek word higiano does mean true, but sound also means healthy. And whenever Luke uses that same Greek word in his gospel, he's using it to mean healthy. And I think for Paul, he's probably using it to mean true and healthy doctrine. And as long as we realize that the doctrine we have as Lutherans is truly biblical and healthy for the care of souls, we need to be sharing it with Lutheran souls. But also what I'm striving to do is share it with non-Lutherans as well so that they can use Luther's wisdom to uh, care for other people's souls. You mentioned there, too, that the pastor especially brings this care of souls through the means of grace, what he's called to do. And so preaching and sacraments, confession, absolution, of course, even our pastoral visitation fits into that. And you mentioned earlier that among Lutherans, we don't often talk about Christian counseling as freely as maybe our American evangelical friends and those of other denominations, and especially American Baptists, I think, have really embraced that notion of Christian counseling. And there are some concerns there, and we don't negate those. And so I appreciate your work that is inviting them to look at counseling as being more Christ-centered instead of just secular counseling with a little weak Christian attached to it, which is sometimes what happens there. But yet in the Lutheran circles, I often say, especially because we think of it as soul care or the Zalesorger, the old German for it, that a lot of times people come to me for Christian counseling, not even looking for Christian counseling. Maybe they're even trying to avoid Christian counseling. They're just coming to me as a pastor. And what it turns into is soul care and providing what we might term as Christian counseling there, whether that be in private sessions 
or in my pastoral visitation to hospital rooms and you see people wrestling with these things that are going on in their health and questions about their relationship to God and faith and all of those things come into that. And so I think it's important for us to identify then what is truly Christian counseling then or maybe another way to ask it is how do we bring Christ to bear in that situation considering the psychological effects for again lack of just better terminology that's the terminology that we have in our present time and so you know we recognize those things going on and can see those things but how do we see that in a truly Christ-centered way yeah i make the distinction in my book and it's actually my distinction it's a distinction made by eric johnson in his book about soul care and eric johnson is a baptist who teaches as the director of the program of christian psychology at houston baptist university but he makes the distinction that soul care is divided up into three different areas the sin suffering and biopsychosocial damage and i point out to seminarians that pastors are primarily going to be dealing with the sin and the suffering parts of that triangle, whereas Christian counselors are going to be more expert in the biopsychosocial damage. You know, this person has schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or Tourette's or whatever else in the DSM-5 that they may be struggling with. They're going to be dealing with the biopsychosocial damage and also the suffering that comes from that biopsychosocial damage But all three of those corners are impacted by our original sin. We wouldn't have the biopsychosocial damage, how our brains work and how our bodies work, if it weren't for original sin of Adam and Eve and our continuing sin and the sinful choices that we make that then deteriorate our bodies and our minds perhaps even faster than they would if we were sound in body and doctrine and doing things that were healthy in body and doctrine for us consistently. But yeah, I mentioned Eric Johnson. He's a Baptist. When I first met Eric about seven, eight years ago now, he told me that he was teaching a Bible class at his Baptist church on the Heidelberg Disputation and the Theology of the Cross. And I was just kind of amazed by this, that here was at least one Baptist who had come across Luther and realized how important this was. I don't know very many Lutheran pastors who have taught Bible studies on the Heidelberg Disputation and the Theology of the Cross. And here was a Baptist that was doing it. And he actually is then one of the two that reviewed my book in the Concordia Journal. So I do have some Baptists who are taking this seriously as well. And I very much appreciate my relationship with those in the non-Lutheran Christian counseling world, especially if they are paying attention to Luther and his soul care theology. Yeah, a lot of times I am often surprised, or at least I have been and becoming less surprised at how often other denominations, Reformed denominations, actually really appreciate Luther. Of course, sometimes they get Luther wrong and don't agree with him, especially when it comes to the sacraments and things like that. But I think they have a great appreciation for a great reformer that kind of started it all and will freely point to those things. But I think this is a good place to go ahead and pause for a break here. But when we come back from the break, then I want to pick up this idea a little more with you about what Lutherans bring specifically to Christian counseling. And of course, all formed by that soul care and from Luther himself and so forth, as we've talked here. But what would be distinctively Lutheran then about what we bring to Christian counseling? And so we'll pick that up right after this break. You're listening to Concord Matters on KFUO.
Hi, this is Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas, host of Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're starting a new series on Sharper Iron titled Advent with the Prophets. Instead of going through an entire book of the Bible one text at a time, we'll be looking at a variety of texts from a variety of authors, specifically the Old Testament texts that are appointed for the season of Advent. We'll hear from Moses, Isaiah, and Jeremiah. We'll read from 2 Samuel, Micah, Zephaniah, and Malachi. These faithful preachers and their faithful hearers were waiting. They were waiting for the Lord to fulfill his promise to send the Savior, the seed of the woman who would crush the devil's head. As they waited, they trusted They trusted that the Lord would fulfill that promise, that this Savior would come and shed his blood to save them from their sins. Their faith looked forward to Jesus, even as our faith looks back to Jesus. But it is the same Christian faith either way. As we spend time with these Old Testament saints during the season of Advent, we will be prepared to receive Jesus coming to us now in his word and sacrament, and we will be strengthened to wait for Jesus coming again in glory on the last day. Join us on Sharper Iron during this Advent season to rejoice with saints of every time and every place who trust in the coming of Jesus Christ for salvation. Welcome back to Concord Matters as we continue talking with the Reverend Dr. Rick Mars about why Concord Matters for Christian Counseling. And in the first half of the show, we laid out a great foundation and left you with this thought right before the break that I think when it comes to Christian counseling, again, just using the terminology that is broadly in use in our own modern times here, but when it comes to Christian counseling, We see roots of these things coming from Martin Luther in terms of soul care and so forth. But specifically then, I think we Lutherans have something unique to bring that even our American evangelical brethren that bring some gifts and appreciation of Luther as well into their Christian counseling. I think we probably have some very unique things that we specifically bring to Christian counseling. And again, Dr. Rick Mars has uh, really been helpful and foundational for me in that formation as well. And so just want to throw that question to you then. What would you say is a Lutheran distinction when it comes to Christian counseling? Yeah. Well, thank you for saying what you did about my influence on your formation. I want to say, you know, the influence that Bob Kolb and Chuck Aaron and others, Joe Locomoto had on my formation. I mean, I, I sort of understood Lutheran theology before I became a pastor. For those listeners that don't know, I became a pastor in my 40s. I had been a psychology professor and Christian counselor at Concordia Chicago and at St. John's College in Winfield for years before that, and then reconsidered when I was 40 years old and went to the seminary to become a pastor and was a parish pastor for six years, basically, and having a great time in the parish when the seminary called me back to teach pastoral counseling there. But it was systematicians and other professors at Concordia Seminary that helped me deepen my understanding of Luther's soul care theology. And again, I just, we've been hugging it too close to our own vests for decades now. And our evangelical friends, and even many of our Catholic friends say they appreciate Luther and they want to know more about Luther. They often follow up with, I don't like Lutheranism. So they think that we've somehow changed Luther. 
And in some ways we have, but in many ways, we're just kind of sticking with being radically Lutheran. I like that. It's a term that Bob Kolb has started using of trying to be radically Luther focused in our theology. But the way I structured it in my book is I focused on first, we are creatures and we are creatures with onfectung, like I said, and then, then his cross, the theology, the cross is his ultimate glory. And we need to be aware that we are constantly struggling with the first commandment of finding idols in our lives that direct us away from our Savior, but that he is always willing to forgive us and renew us and bring us back to him through the power of his glorious cross. And then another key thing is the law gospel distinction. There was actually a Christian counselor, a Presbyterian, that got up about five, six years ago and talked about the law gospel distinction at a Christian counseling conference. And again, the Christian counseling conferences tend to have six to 7,000 people attending. This is a huge professional organization. And I won't even mention the name of the Presbyterian who talked about law and gospel, but he told the Christian counselors, this is the most important doctrine that you don't know enough about, and I'm going to tell you about it for 30 minutes. And so 6,000 Christian counselors heard about it. Unfortunately, that Presbyterian pastor had a fall from grace himself and is no longer in the ministry. And while I wanted to quote him in my book and so forth, I chose not to because had a breakup in his marriage and a fall from grace. But they have been listening to some people talk about the law gospel distinction. And it's just something that we take for granted as Lutherans. But when we understand God speaks to us in law, how we've broken his law, but then he comes and speaks to us in gospel, how he has made us one with him through our Savior, Jesus Christ, and baptizing us into Christ's death and resurrection, Romans 6. That law gospel distinction is just core for us. And then the other that I point out, the new Adam, old Adam distinction, the struggle that we have as simul justus et peccator, simultaneously saint and sinner. I don't think we deal with that well in Christian counseling circles. So I'm kind of challenging Christian counselors to think, how could we use that metaphor, which is just so important in at least approaching some of our strategies in Christian counseling. Those are some of the, I think, big, broad things that we as Lutherans can share from Luther directly to our evangelical and Roman Catholic and even Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters who are doing counseling work. And I found that they really appreciate it when they hear about Luther and, and tend to accept about 90 to 95% of what they hear. So, Yeah. And of course, anyone who may have listened to this show before knows that I'm a huge CFW Walther fan, yeah. first president of Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate. And I bring his works in, especially his great work, Law and Gospel Distinction, the proper distinction of law and gospel. And yeah, that's a truly Lutheran distinction that our evangelical friends really don't know enough about. And oftentimes in my own interactions with friends of mine and acquaintances in the ministerium with those other denominations, they come to appreciate, wow, you really have a grasp on this. And I say, well, it's not really anything. I mean, it's just, it's a benefit of being Lutheran and we are well grounded in those things. And the distinction of being simultaneously saint and sinner and the theology of the cross, all of these things are things that are well-grounded in Lutheranism in the positive sense of the use of that term. And I agree that there can be a negative sense of that where we just get so wrapped up in the institution of things. And, and that's a danger in this world in general. But when we bring those things that are great distinctions of our Christian faith, that Lutheranism has well-grounded in Scripture, when we bring that that really does impact the ministry that we do. 
And so I think in another sense, one way that we are distinctively Lutheran, and I want to invite you to talk a little more about this, is then how we bring that into the very practical nitty gritty things that we do in our pastoral care or soul care or our Christian counseling, that when we bring these theological distinctions in very practical ways to things that we do in our care. Can you talk about that a little bit? Mm -hmm. Yeah. In fact, yeah, you reminded me 25 years or so ago, I was having a conversation with a Baptist Christian counselor, a friend of mine, and he had a sense that he wasn't using the gospel in his Christian counseling enough, and he wanted to figure out how to do that. And I remember handing him, this was before I was a pastor, I remember handing him a copy of Walther's short version of Law and Gospel, that God's Yes and God's No that CPH put out years ago. It's about 100 pages condensed. And he went back and read it, and he brought it back to me like three days later, and he shook it in my face and said, you're right. You Lutherans take an extreme position on grace. And I, ha, he, he understands that so many of evangelicals don't understand that the gospel is extreme, that we do absolutely nothing to receive God's grace. And I think there's always a little hint in our old Adam or some aspect of us that says, I have to do something to earn this grace. And we have to be told over and over and over again through preaching, through teaching, through confession, absolution, and other things that, no, this grace comes to us completely through Christ and not anything that we've deserved. And yeah, Walter was very good at I, I wanted to actually have a chapter on Walther in my book, and that was how it was originally designed. But talking to some of my evangelical friends who say, we need to listen to the old dead theologians. We need to be listening to any of them that could be helpful to us in soul care. But when I brought up Walther to some of them, they said, well, evangelicals don't know Walther at all. So I only put like two or three pages of Walther in the text itself and then put Walther and all of his theses to Law and Gospel in the appendix of a book. So if a Lutheran pastor loans a copy of my book to the Baptist Christian counselor that he's talking to, then if he wants to emphasize Walther's theses, they're at least there in the book. They're just in an appendix, and they uh, didn't have to read them to get to the techniques. But I think you ask about techniques. Yeah, about half of the book then is about techniques, some of which are quirky little things like the gospel empty chair technique, which I won't go into here. It's I tell people it's worth the price of the book for a Christian counselor to at least consider using that technique where they would help their counselees realize that we too often turn faith into a work. And so many people will say things like, oh, if I had more faith, I would be less depressed. And they don't realize that, no, you can still have lots of faith, even if you are depressed, or you can still have even a modicum of faith. It's still a saving faith in Jesus Christ, because we're not saved by the strength of our faith. We're saved by the fact that we have a, a strong Savior. So I have a technique in the book that points to that. And then just pointing people to explicit gospel and the need for forgiveness, again, where we as Lutherans really kind of shine is how we still do believe in confession and absolution. Unfortunately, too few Lutherans are practicing confession and absolution. I do a little informal survey in my classes at the seminary every term, and for the last 15 years, I would estimate that probably only about 5 to 10% of our congregations and our pastors are actually regularly practicing individual confession and absolution, and we forget that it's 
in the catechisms. It's in the small catechism. It's in the large catechism. It's all over in the Book of Concord. And yet we Lutherans tend to forget it, or we think that we're being too Roman Catholic if we talk about confession and absolution. But Luther actually said in the large catechism, therefore, when I urge you to go to confession, I am simply urging you to be a Christian. And in the small called articles, since absolution or the power of the keys, which was instituted by Christ in the gospel, is a consolation and a help against sin and a bad conscience, confession and absolution should by no means be allowed to fall into disuse in the church, especially for the sake of timid consciences and for the sake of untrained young people who need to be examined and instructed in Christian doctrine. There are some people who hear the gospel from the pulpit and receive the gospel, receive God's grace through Lord's Supper, and they know they've been baptized, but they still have consciences that burden them with the things that they've done wrong. And God gave us a whole variety of techniques to bring that gospel to people, and one of them is confession and absolution. We do it on Sunday mornings, most church services in LCMS, in the corporate confession absolution, but some people are benefited if they actually hear an individual proclamation that your sins are forgiven. As a called and ordained servant of the word, I forgive you your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When some people confess their particular sins, they like to hear and are comforted by a particular absolution that they can receive from their pastor. And if if this episode doesn't do anything else, if it helps to add a few more Lutheran, confessional Lutheran people to say, you know, maybe I should talk to my pastor about confession and absolution. Maybe I could, I've been burdened by this particular sin that's ongoing in my life. Maybe I should go and talk to him about it and receive that particular forgiveness for this particular sin. Maybe that would help the severity of my conscience. Luther used it. Lutherans have been using it for 500 years. Too few Lutherans have been using it in the last several decades. Yeah, I concur with that. And I kind of stumbled into it myself in my college days. And again, it was kind of accidental, which a lot of folks I've talked to have had this experience as well as I just went in to talk to a pastor and he turned it into confession and absolution. Mm -hmm. I found out later that's what, what he was doing. And and it was exactly what I needed because it was, a, as you said, a, a direct application of the gospel that I needed because the law was accusing my conscience. And that is a very distinctively Christian, let alone Lutheran, approach to considering what we do when we're doing counseling in that soul care is that we actually bring, it's not just properly distinguishing the law and gospel for the sake of abstract academic theology but that it actually comes to bear in a very practical way in what we do. And so, again, something I've also learned from you and benefited from, and, and I thank you for highlighting that very well for us there. Uh, also, you mentioned the sacraments, and that's something else. In my own background, I've been a hospital chaplain in Austin, Texas for a time, and I noticed that was a distinction among, especially, again, that kind of broad category of American evangelical chaplains that I worked with, it was a Catholic hospital chain, so I worked with Catholics and wasn't quite as distinguished with them on this, but that I have a sacramental theology that I bring when I come into that room to provide care for those who are in the midst of suffering and are in the hospital. 
is that we actually bring the sacraments. You talked about that the gospel comes in a concrete way to us. And we know this from Romans, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so we as Lutherans talk about it as the word and sacraments and the sacraments aren't separate from the word. It's the word made visible, tangible, and real. It's a real delivery of the gospel. And so, yeah, kind of contrary to a lot of other folks out there who say, you know, I just need to believe more or, and that's even the approach of some of our Christian brothers and sisters in American evangelicalism, especially, but we bring this distinction of, well, you need a stronger faith. You need more confidence in God's love for you. Well, here it is right here in a tangible way in the sacrament. And so yeah, these are great distinctions. As we're looking at the time here, a couple more things I want to address with you, but picking up on this idea. So we've talked about these things that once again, Counseling, probably not on the radar. The term psychology just barely coming in in the 16th century. But you've highlighted for us really well a lot of things that are covered in the Book of Concord. The word, the sacraments, confession and absolution, law and gospel distinction. These things are hit on the various documents and you brought in the catechisms. Something I love to bring into from the Book of Concord that, you know, we tend to think of the Augsburg Confession and things like that. But the simple catechisms is a chief component of the Book of Concord. And so thank you for bringing that in. But I guess my question is this is, would you say that, again, while not specifically talking about Christian counseling, that's just not a term on their radar, but would the Book of Concord address matters of Christian counseling in any specific ways? Would you say that at all? Well, like we talked about with confession absolution, I think that directly does speak to it, even though, again, most of our Christian counselors in the United States wouldn't think of doing confession absolution themselves. There's actually a, a technique I developed in the book that I guide Christian counselors to say, well, here's a way that even if you don't believe in absolution, you can still point people towards Psalm 51 and other places in Scripture that speaks directly to the forgiveness of sins coming from God himself. And I think a lot of Baptists and others are comfortable. I actually developed that when I was working with a Baptist client who I knew I, well, I wasn't a pastor yet at the time, but I knew I didn't have the authority to speak confession absolution and he didn't want me to, but he also wanted to hear from God's word that if he died while he was in prison, he would still be forgiven. And so I developed a, a Psalm 51 based strategy to help someone, even who's not Lutheran, to realize that they're forgiven even when they're in prison, or if they're imprisoned in some metaphorical way in their own lives, they're also still forgiven. You brought up kind of that objective, you didn't use the word, but objective justification is one of our other great gifts that we have as Lutherans. So many non-Lutherans go through life with what I call kind of a roller coaster view of faith, that their faith is getting stronger and stronger, and then they get trapped in some sin, and they just tumble downwards in a way that they think they're going to die spiritually, and then they slowly crank back up the next part of the roller coaster. I had a good Baptist friend decades ago who described his life just like that, his spiritual life. And we as Lutherans realized that that's actually to be expected because of our own struggle with God and to yet know he's controlling that roller coaster all along the way. It's not, we don't have to be fearful of the downhill slide that much even though we want to have some fear, it gets back to first commandment. We fear, love, and trust in God above all things. But yeah, we bring in an objective justification that gives people a realization that 
I'm forgiven even when I don't fully feel forgiven or when I don't fully feel connected to God. If God is my father, at least a father is a good metaphor for that person, he's going to continue to love me even when I do something wrong. That doesn't give us a reason to continue to do wrong things. But yeah, he is going to continue to love us because of what Jesus Christ did through his cross and through his resurrection and through objectively tying us to that cross and resurrection through our baptisms, which then gives us identity. Our Lutheran view of identity in our baptisms is just really, really core and important that I think is another metaphor that non-Lutherans can even use in their Christian counseling. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, that's Article 4 of the Augsburg Confession, which we make the point on this show. And as Lutherans, quite a lot is the chief article of our Christian faith upon which the whole church stands or falls. And so might even, might be a bit of a stretch, but I'll even say it's upon which our Christian counseling stands or falls, or our pastoral care, our soul care, or anything that we do. And I'm also getting here too, just as you've been talking really throughout the whole show, You've been bringing out a lot of the articles. I'm just going to stick with the Augsburg Confession. It's kind of one of the chief documents of our Book of Concord. All of them excellent. Catechism's excellent. But I mean, as you just go through those articles there, you've already highlighted for us today, Article 1, God. You know, well, who is God? I mean, we're going to have to talk about that in Christian counseling. Article 2, Original Sin. You've brought that in. Of We're going to have to consider that and how our sin plays into our suffering the Son of God, Article 3, right? And Justification, Article 4, and Article 5, the ministry. And we've been talking about that. New obedience, how we live in this faith, the church, what the church is, baptism, Lord's Supper, confession, use of the sacraments. All of these things really, again, while not necessarily specifically talking about Christian counseling, it is talking about the care of souls, as we've highlighted again on a previous episode, and as you brought out really well for us again today. And as we see all that play out, it's going to be really beneficial to us, whether you're a pastor providing that pastoral care to be grounded in this Lutheran Christian confession, but then also as laity receiving care that you're going to want to know, well, how do I identify what is good soul care, good Christian counseling, and what maybe I should be wary of, as I even said, that there is a lot of things that go by Christian counseling out there that maybe isn't all that Christ-centered. And so that's the next question I really want to throw to you is on the lay side, and I thank you for bringing in the exhortation to consider confession and absolution. Absolutely. Heartily commend that as well. But what would be some other principles then, if you're a lay person considering these things, what would you say would be some principles that they want to consider when they're looking for truly Christ-centered Christian counseling? Hal Sinkbeil, who was the executive director for Doxology, he, he and I were sitting at a table one time when a pastor came up and asked him, "Who do I? what do I look for in a Christian counselor? And he said, well, one thing, ask them how they deal with suffering. You know, it is a case where, again, a lot of Christians who are not Lutherans don't realize that suffering is a part of the Christian life and that we're carrying our cross, in a sense, when we go through life in a faithful way through our suffering and other people go, how come that person doesn't seem to show the same level of depression or despair or whatever, even though I know that they're suffering in this life through grief or pain or whatever? When people see Christians who are suffering, but yet trusting in Christ, it makes them want to ask, why? And that's what, again, Hal Sinkbile was getting at, that some counselors don't know how to deal with suffering in their counseling. And I that's where 
Luther's soul care theology can at least help address that kind of thing. Yeah. Realize that it's not just all about sin and forgiveness, that there are other aspects of the law gospel distinction that might be playing a role in their life. I think we underplay shame in our soul care and our way of looking at the law gospel distinction. There are a lot of cultures who emphasize shame. And actually, I think that we in the in America are becoming more of a shame-based culture. Presbyterian Ed Welch and another Kirk Thompson have kind of influenced me, who are Christian counselors, influenced me to pay more attention to shame and to realize that shame can also be addressed by the gospel, is addressed by the gospel in Genesis 3 when the first shame comes about. But we live in a shame-based culture in the sense that a lot of people won't admit that what they're doing is wrong, but they still feel really bad about themselves. They have low self-esteem. I think low self-esteem has become a secular way of describing shame in our culture. And again, only the only way that spiritual shame can be addressed is through the gospel and how we realize that, oh, even if I feel ashamed of who I am, objectively, I'm still the son of God, the inheritor of all these gifts of wonder and forgiveness and love. And I'm still a part of the church and all my brothers and sisters in Christ around me are also fellow sons and daughters of the king of all creation. If we hear the gospel said in that way, the anti-shame, the honor of the Christian faith, that's also important. And people come with a whole lot of other issues, meaninglessness of life, despair, the gospel speaks to each one of those in unique metaphors, and we have then scriptural metaphors to speak to those. And the gospel actually can speak to all the various types of disorders, too. I mean, there's different ways that soul care can be done with somebody who has an eating disorder, different ways that soul care can be done with somebody with an addiction or schizophrenia, or anxiety disorders. And we know more about all of those various disorders at a first article level. Now then, how can we begin speaking grace and gospel? I still, I, I remember one woman when I was a parish pastor, a woman that was not a member of our congregation anymore, but she had been a member and she would come back and visit. And I knew that she had some mental health issues. And she would come and ask me, Pastor Mars, can I take communion at your church? said, yes, dear, you're always welcome to come and take communion at our church. And she said, oh, thank you. I always feel so forgiven after I've received the Lord's Supper that even somebody with mental health issues like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder have spiritual concomitant issues, as it's said in the field, spiritually conjoined issues that make them ask, why doesn't God heal me from this particular disorder that I have? If God really loved me, wouldn't he heal me from this? And they need to hear over and over and over again, no, this is just part of who we may be. And God is still with you, even if you do have a particular sort of disorder. In fact, if we have time, I've got uh, one closing that I like to use from Romans 8, where who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall trouble or hardship. And then I add in or depression or anxiety disorder or schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither depression or anxiety, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Just rephrasing some Bible verses like that, I think, can be helpful to people who are suffering and struggling with these disorders in various ways.
Absolutely. And obviously, we always want to be careful of adding or subtracting to scripture as scripture itself says, but I think that's a faithful thing because that's included in what the words are there. You know, there's nothing that separates us from the love of Christ. And so bringing that into a specific way is a pastoral care matter. And I just thank you for all the excellent work that you've been doing. We have just a couple minutes left. It's been a real honor to have you on. Of course, I've enjoyed learning from you myself and benefiting from your work. And certainly thank you for that and honoring me to be my guest on the show to talk about this today. But with just a couple minutes left here, then I want to just leave this parting question that I've asked throughout this series about why does our concord, and when we talk about that, we mean our agreement and Christian confession. We've talked about our differences and, and our Lutheran distinctions that we bring in terms of Christian counseling, our differences with other denominations, and then our distinctive Lutheran gifts in that. But why does concord then, our agreement and Christian confession, matter for Christian counseling? Go ahead with your parting thoughts for us today. Yeah, and for me, it gets back to that idea of sound doctrine the Titus 2.1 verse that I used earlier, that Paul emphasizes sound doctrine, especially in his pastoral epistles. We Lutherans are probably the most doctrinally oriented, at least Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, as well as our ELS and Wells brothers and sisters, are probably the most doctrinally minded Christian bodies in the United States. But it's because we believe that sound doctrine, healthy doctrine, is healthy spiritually for people. And if they realize how much their Savior actually loves them, that he gave his life for them on the cross personally. And again, I know those addition things that I put in, I teach people, counselors to use like John 3.16, but put the person's name into John 3.16 so that they believe that it's for them personally, the gospel is for them personally, not just for the world. When you're depressed or anxious, you very often think, oh, it's for everybody else. It's not for me. It's for those that are predestined, and I don't think I'm one of those. Is a struggle that a lot of, spiritual struggle a lot of people have. So when we realize that predestination is a sound doctrine that teaches us that God has predestined us from the very beginning to hear his word and to respond faithfully to his word, and he will continue to be faithful to us throughout our entire lives then we don't have to worry about, am I one of the elect or not? Too many depressed people that were struggling with that particular double predestination issue, because I think double predestination is not sound doctrine, but single predestination is sound doctrine. But yeah, for me, it gets back to that idea of sound doctrine. That is the Reverend Dr. Rick Mars. Thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure having you join us for Concord Matters today and discussing with us why Concord Matters for confessional Christian counseling, which, as in all things, is rightly centered on Christ for you. And thank you also, dear listener, for stopping by today. And until next time, keep confessing, church. <laughs>